Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. And uh, as you can see, we have a guest back with us. Uh, Gabe, thanks for coming on. You've been on with us before, but it's been a little while, I think. Yeah, it has been. Uh, I'm trying to think if there was a time that we've chatted together like this since ShepCon. I guess not. We we did uh, we met under the tent at ShepCon, the book tent, and we did kind of like a review of the week's events. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that. I don't. I don't think we've done one since then. So it's good to have you back, brother. Um, I love having you on. Uh, for most people are going to know who you are that listen to us, but for the guys who don't know much about you, um, why don't you just tell us a little bit about uh, where you're serving? Um, I know you've got some additional ministries besides the pastoral ministry. Tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll just kind of jump into our topic uh, from there. Yeah, well, it's neat that our online ministries have been around long enough that I think that you've done interview an interview with me or I've been a guest on your show in all three states that I've lived in during the time of my pastoral ministry. So we've done interviews while I was living in Kansas, Texas, and now I'm in Arizona. Wow. <laughs> so nice. I'm the uh, I'm the pastor of Providence Reformed Baptist Church and only been here two months, but it has been an absolute delight. The congregation is wonderful. Uh, this this is a great area for ministry and growth. There's a lot of churches in Casa Grande, but the uh, but there's a real need for the word, uh, a hunger for the word, and so uh, especially for the reform side of theology. So we're trying to do some ministry outreach into the community, even trying to expand our meeting space because we're kind of busting at the seams with the way that God is blessing the church. So we hope that we can get a larger space and be able to accommodate more people. Uh, but uh, yeah, as as you have probably known about my ministry, when we understand the text, which is online, the podcast that I do daily, teaching through New Testament and Old Testament, and then my wife do a Q and A on Friday, and then of course all that had launched from the videos, the short form videos that I produce that are uh, published to YouTube, and all of that is completely free, and so you can find out more about the ministry by going to wwutt.com, uh, devoted to teaching the Word of God in context, especially. In, uh, in in the discipline of expository teaching. That's awesome, brother. And uh, we'll make sure we put the links to those things in the show notes so guys can click on those and watch. Um, I, I like your, your, your little 90-second what videos are awesome, uh, especially if you don't have a lot of time and you, you just want to hear something on a particular subject. Uh, you, you might be... I mean, I guess it takes a lot of effort, right, to squeeze in a clear teaching in like 60 or 90 seconds. Um, so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. All of that came from my radio days. Cause I spent over 20 years in radio. That's where I was raised was in Christian radio and everything. That's where that like voice that. comes from. That's right. Yeah. Right. I inherited it from my dad. So <laughs> it was an acquired skill, but the, uh, uh, the, everything in radio is in like 30 second intervals. You have to do it in 30, 60, 90 seconds. And so the videos became minute and a half, kind of vignettes and uh, and then they've even expanded out to two minutes because some of those things is like i can't get this into 90 seconds so some of the videos are a little bit longer and just this year i'm doing a read through the entire bible so on the same channel you can get the the daily bible readings that are about 12 15 minutes long going through three or four chapters of the bible at a time mm. that's awesome uh, I was thinking about doing something like that, but now that I've heard you're doing it, I'll just send people your way. You you, you have the audio Bible voice. Um, but l l let's jump into our subject uh, bef before you know people start falling over, wondering when we're going to get to this thing. Um, it's a great topic. And in fact, uh, we're, we're, we're doing a couple recordings today and they're going to go well together. Uh, the other recording we did, uh, we, we talked about how to prepare your heart for hearing the preached word on Sunday. Um, and so th for for today, for this one, we really want to talk about what is preaching? Um, why is preaching necessary? Necessary Is it important? Why is it important? Um, I spent like the last hour, maybe 45 minutes or so, digging through statistics from uh, the, the 
a few research and several other guys just looking at what people in America think about preaching. Um, how long do they think it should be? How important is it? I, I mean, and people's opinions are all over the place. But I think one thing that I, I, I gather from all of those statistics is people just don't know what preaching is, what it's for. And so therefore, they don't understand it. Uh, they don't understand the value um, and, and all of that sort of thing. So uh, why don't you just kind of start us off, uh, Gabe, with a simple definition of preaching. What, what do we mean by preaching? People instantly have visuals in their head of that. But when we talk about biblical preaching, what are we talking about? Yeah. Well, let me let me begin with a passage out of 2 Timothy 4, and this may have been the same passage you guys had in mind when wanting to approach this subject today. But Paul instructing Timothy, whom he has sent to Ephesus to do this very task in preaching, and he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so what does what does it mean then to preach? That imperative that he gives to Timothy to preach. To preach is very simply to, uh, to herald. It is to announce or proclaim. And in the context of this instruction, it's to proclaim the gospel of Christ. So is one who stands... Uh, in the presence of God himself, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, this one who has been raised from the dead, who is going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. So it's as if Timothy is beholden to these things. You know these truths. You know that they have been proclaimed in the gospel that you have heard. And so now you are to go and proclaim the same to the world, to the people of God, especially when it's in the context of the church, and then to the world when it comes to evangelism. Preaching the word, those things that have been spoken through the prophets and apostles that have been handed down to us in the word of God, that is the Bible. And we do these things in season and out of season when it's ready to be received and when people are even resistant to it, yet we are to continue to go on preaching. And then you have various aspects of preaching that are included there, reproving, rebuking and exhorting, and we can talk about what each one of those means. And then at the conclusion of that, which with complete patience, the attitude of preaching, and then teaching. So there is something that is accomplished through this proclamation that people would learn and understand who God is, what the gospel is, and what God is doing and has accomplished through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, thanks for taking us there and, and stealing my notes. Um, yeah, we did we didn't share these, <laughs> but I have that pulled up. And I mean, let, let's give some background to this, right? So so that people understand. We'll all have people who vary in their understanding of this text in our congregations. Um, th it, these are the pastoral epistles, right? Uh, which we are so affectionately called. And I think it's in First Timothy where uh, Paul. Um, Paul talks, talking to Timothy says, you know, I'm writing you so that you'll know how things ought to be in the church. I'm paraphrasing mm -hmm. that. Right. And so First the context 13, here, or 315 there. Yeah, there you go. And so the context here is what should be happening in the church. Uh, Timothy is set as a elder in Ephesus. And so we would understand these things not to just be um, mandates for Timothy, but actually for elders for those mm -hmm. who are preaching in, in the church. And so that's why you went to this passage. That's why we were, would, would refer to here just to give guys a little bit of background. So that if you want to know what, uh, what, what the preacher is supposed to be doing, what an elder's role is, you, you can come to these pastoral epistles and, and you can see Paul's instruction, not just to Timothy, um, but, but really by extension, all elders and preachers. And so, um, and so that's important. Now you brought up here, um, and we'll kind of get to this. I, I think we'll 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 hit all of these different words, but there's a difference between preaching and teaching. But before we get there, we, we live in a, a society now, even within the church, and especially if you want to talk about larger evangelicalism, who really has a disdain for this word, preaching, and it comes out in phraseology like, "Well, we we don't want to preach to people. We we want to we want to." 
talk to them on their level. We want to have a conversation from the, the not even the pulpit anymore, from the platform. And, and you see the pulpits removed. You see the guy come down on the ground level, you know, with a, a music stand or whatever. Um, and meaty, you know, 30 plus minute sermons have become 10 minute sermonettes, which produce Christianettes. Um, it, l- just talk to us a little <laughs> bit about, is uh, uh, that been your, is this really a big issue in the church today? Like, do we need to do a podcast on preaching? Um, what, what, what's the kind of landscape from your perspective on the, the, the view, the modern view of preaching? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll even share an anecdote to go along with that. So I had preached exactly that way, just like what you're describing. He's not even up on the chancel, which is, you know, what we call the stage in a church anymore. He's down on the floor. He's got a music stand. He's probably walking around sounding more like a, a motivational speaker than a preacher. And that's exactly the way that I started. I have that, you know, uh, as we had talked about before we started recording that radio voice of the experience that I had in radio and things like that. And um, uh, I w- would rely on that charismaticism that I had from doing my own radio show is like, OK, well, I'll just take the radio show disciplines that I have. And now I'm going to adopt them into my preaching. And so I, I wasn't dressing like in a suit. I was a lot more casual and had the music stand and or even would hold the Bible in my hand, but I'm still kind of walking around and I'm a little bit more animated when I'm preaching. The members of my congregation would refer to me as Baptocostal because I had so much animation to my style. And then there was a, a, a time of conviction that I had with regards to those disciplines. Nobody had ever really taught me these things. I'm watching other preachers and seeing these men that I admire because they're preaching the gospel. In their approach, they're not preaching the same way that I am. And then I was watching an episode of Wretched with Todd Friel, and he was just very simply, I I can't even remember what the title was and how it caught my attention, but he was just very simply just kind of looking at the camera and saying things like, you took your pulpit off the stage. Why did you do that? And I'm going, yeah, why did I do that? Why am I not preaching from a pulpit? And then he, and you know, he would explain the history of the pulpit, why the pulpit was significant, what it was uh you know the preacher was behind the pulpit because the word of god was supposed to be out front and then he would go on to another part of of uh, of a preaching discipline and he would say you're not wearing a suit why are you dressed the way that you're dressed when you stand in front of the congregation and preach and it's like he's right there talking to me and i'm going yeah i have a suit but i don't wear it why why not so i changed this immediately like i didn't even phase it in Just one Sunday, I showed up with the pulpit back on the stage, and I showed up in a suit and tie. And the the pushback on it was instant. Like, people were immediately uncomfortable with it. And I could tell while I was preaching, the reception from the congregation is totally different than what it was before. And one of the ladies even came up to me afterward and said, we're not doing this every week, are we? Is this like a special occasion thing? Why did you start doing this? And, and there were people that were upset with what I was teaching. Somebody even accused me of changing my doctrine. And I had to go back and show them stuff that I had written years before to, to show them. This is completely consistent with what I have been teaching for years. But it was almost as if standing behind a pulpit, wearing a suit, taking a posture that was more authoritative was offensive to the people that were listening. And mm-hmm. suddenly their ears are hearing things. They're receiving it in a, in a different way than what they were hearing before. Maybe before they perceived it as a speech, but now they're receiving exhortation. Like there's an imperative here, go and do. I wasn't hearing that before, but now I am. And it's something that is is offending my sensibility. This wasn't what I came here for. And so I have witnessed in even our approaches to preaching that authoritative posture become very offensive to people. And like you said, people just don't naturally want to go to church on a Sunday and have somebody talk at them. Tell me that I'm wrong and I should be doing this instead, you know, and and so there is a resistance to good preaching. But as Paul gave this definition of preaching to Timothy, it is inherently to be reproving and exhorting. So there is going to be a a call to correction and there's going to be a call to action that the people are to follow in light of what it is that's being preached. Yes, it is by grace through faith that we are saved, but faith is going to have legs on it, or 
it's not really faith as uh, it's it's just a dead faith, as James talks about. So this is uh, th- this is something that even in its approach, we haven't even gotten to the substance of what is being preached yet. But even the very nature of preaching is going to be something imperative that is offensive to a world that is resistant to the word of God. Yeah, no, that's good. And and I think uh, let's just stay here for a minute before we get into the substance of preaching and just talk about, you know, why the dress matters, why some of these things matter. Um, you preach in a suit. I preach in a suit. Eki, I think you preach in a suit. Um, yeah, I do. And and I l- let me say this. I, I I was pretty sure. I mean, he uses PowerPoint sometimes, but that's OK. Um but uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think you necessarily have to preach in a suit, but I do think that the dress matters. Um, if I look at a preacher and he looks sloppy, he looks just overly casual, like he walked out of his house and he's going to meet a guy, you know, for a cup of coffee and, you know, he's just kind of bumming out for the day. I, I'm wondering if as a preacher, he takes what he does seriously. Um, and, and I, I get some people may not understand why we wear a suit and tie and things like that. So maybe help us understand a little bit why, what's going through your mind? Um, wh- why do we dress the way we dress? Why does that matter at all? Is it superficial? Is it, you know, or is it meaningful? What, what's the deal with that? There was actually a friend of mine who was an atheist. Um, uh, he, came to my church and participated, even gave money in the uh, in the offering. And he, I think it was his grandfather used to be a preacher, even though he himself was not a Christian anymore and did not even believe in the existence of God. So I had some conversations with him after church, and he had talked about, you know, wearing a suit and things like that. And he was, he was making a critique about other people in the congregation weren't dressing up. And this is from an atheist, by the way. And he's saying, you, you dress coming to church like you dress uh, in the rest of your week, or you will dress better for your job than you mm. will dress coming to church. Yeah. And he said, so how much reverence do you really have for God when you're not, you, you're not willing to present your best? And, mm. and he said, that's, that's not even the behavioral stuff. You know, we can say, we can talk all about hypocrites being in the church and all that kind of stuff, but I'm just talking about the, just the basic discipline of getting up in the morning and putting clothes on. And you're not putting your best forward when you come to stand in the presence of God and of his people. And, and this was a critique from, you know, a man that that has no place in the church. And of course, we can we, we can uh, uh, talk about how some of that is legalism and things like that. If you start imposing that on people like either you do this or you're not really worshiping God, then we're going yeah. too far. But right. as a matter of wisdom, it is good to ask the questions, just like you have asked. Why? Why would we dress up? Why would we dress in a suit? And uh, I think Steve Lawson has talked about this very thing, because he wants to present his best before the Lord. He wants there to be a matter of respectability to this position that he has standing before a body as a preacher. He he wants there to be um, uh, a professionalism to it. And so I think that that's important. Some would even go as far as saying, you know, hey, let's return to the robes. So it's not even about whatever it is we're wearing. We're just we're wearing a formal robe. Uh, maybe maybe let's do the powdered wigs too. We'll throw in a a John Cotton thing on the head. And <laughs> uh, I'd have I know hair. that. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, now now uh, Nathaniel would have hair. I know that. Um, uh, it, that John Owen used to used to love being sharply dressed was was uh, reading about how he would dress like this all the time. It wouldn't just be in the pulpit, but he loved to to look professional, to look like uh, that he was representing God today as somebody that was set apart from the world. So they're good questions to ask. It's good things for us to consider that we don't present ourselves like slobs, but we we do care about how we present ourselves to the world, even in the things that we wear. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you go back to uh, Chronicles, <clears throat> First and Second Chronicles, and you look at the, the Levitical system and how they were being set up, um, it, it's interesting, e- even I think in Second Chronicles, I couldn't give you the chapter off the top of my head right now, but go to Second Chronicles and look at the musician, the musicians being set apart. 
every detail of what the Levites did was spelled out, even down to the fact that they wore they wore fine linen robes. And and I think oftentimes what um, what people don't think about um, is the fact that, well, at least for the preacher, uh, but even the congregation members, you know, the preacher is standing before the congregation as a herald of the king, as 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 a mouthpiece of the king. He's bringing the king's message to the king's people and nowhere in history would you have found a king's messenger who was dressed like just everyday common wear, right? Yeah. He, he would be distinguishable. He, he would be uh, distinguished in his dress. And, and so it does matter for that reason, because we're not bringing just a common message. We're bringing the king's message to the king's people. Um, and so we want to look like we represent the king. And if we look like slobs, then the question must need needs to be asked, are, are we representing a slobbish king? And of course, the answer is no. And then, you know, and then I think I would argue for the congregation, it's not an issue of whether you wear a suit or tie or or, or whatever, but are you wearing just the best you have, right? Are you wearing, and the best you have might be jeans with a hole in it. You know, I grew up super poor and I definitely went to school with jeans that had ripped, uh, you know, holes ripped in them. And uh, it, that was just what I had. I, I didn't have any better than that. And so maybe that's your best, but are you wearing your best? Or are you rolling out of the bed in your pajamas and not giving God a second thought and, you know, uh, coming up into the church looking like you hadn't brushed your hair in three weeks? Um, so anyway, so it matters for preachers. So kind of talk about that. Um, so there, there is the a reason for the presentation, and it's that we represent God right in in that preaching moment so let's kind of get into then we we've got that understood let's get into the content of preaching why why well, before, do we need before to jumping preach? into content if you don't yeah, mind yeah. i'd like to what eki what are your thoughts like what are you thinking about when you're when you're getting dressed on sunday morning or maybe you're preparing it saturday night and uh and how you are going to present yourself as a preacher of god's word well, I used to work in the business world. I used to work for Fortune 500 companies as a consultant, travel all around. And you dress your best, especially when you first meet a client. You might find out later that they have a relaxed business code, um, a dress code, and you can start to dress down a little bit. But I, I think it's in line with what you guys are talking about. I'm, I'm a representative of God. I'm going up there to proclaim the word of God, and I want to present my best. Now, that being said, I agree with what's being said also. I, I don't hold that as a legalistic code. For anyone else in the church, I don't even hold that as a code for anyone else that may be uh, behind the podium, whether they're part of the praise team or anything like that. I've never said anything like that. But for me to go up there, I feel the conviction and the and the desire to represent the best, uh, my best, but before God as His representative. And here's the other thing too, and and part of this is a little bit of this is perception. I mean, when when strangers come, there may be people that want you to be casual. But they'll understand if you're not, you know, if you're dressed up, they they'll say, well, I prefer he be casual, but OK, that's fine. But if someone comes expecting to see someone that's dressed their best and you're dressed casual, well, it starts to convey a different kind of message. So that's the the secondary reason. But I would say primary, it's it's for me, if I'm going to dress my best for a client I'm meeting for the first time, why wouldn't I dress my best when I'm representing God and proclaiming his message? Yeah. Nathaniel, I remember there being an episode where uh, you were, I guess, appealing to NAM, the North American Missions Board, for some aid for help in the church that you had in Alaska. And they had a critique about what it was that you wore. What was oh, that? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, oh, they, yeah. They want yeah, him yeah. to lose the tie. They wanted him yeah. to lose the tie. Yeah. They wanted yeah. you to dress down. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they had an issue with, um, I, I can't remember exactly how they phrase it now, but basically, um, yeah, they, they didn't think it was appropriate in my setting to, to wear a tie. And so, yeah. Now, how do you respond to something like that where somebody might, they might offer the critique in the other direction. If you want to relate to the people that are around you, you need to be more casual. So how do you respond to something like that? Yeah. You know, I, I think for me, it depends on who that's coming from. Um, when it came from the Nam guys, it's just sort of like, you know, well, take a hike, uh, because you guys have no respect for the preaching of the word 
and they should know better. But I think well, also like what, the, what did they know about the area where you were ministering? What did they know about yeah, those they, people? Yeah, nothing at all. Um, and and so I I think there were multiple things. But you know, for the earnest person who is, is just isn't sure, you know, I think I would just say what we've been saying. I mean, look, I, I I'm not getting behind the pulpit to share my thoughts and opinions with you. I'm getting in the pulpit as God's representative, and just you know, d- whatever you would prefer aside, you know, I'm representing God and I want to do that with the best of what I have, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and and I think people understand that when they think about it. Um, I'm not trying to relate to people. I'm, I could, I could not care less about relating to my congregation when I'm preaching the word. Um, what I care about is that they're hearing their God's word, that they're hearing the message from their king. Um, and and I think when I think about relatability, that only comes in when I talk about application, right? When when I'm helping yeah, them when you're, understand when you're talking the about, text. Yeah. When you're when you're talking about relatable, you're not saying you're just talking about I'm not trying to be liked by anybody. But yeah. but you do want the word of God to be relatable in the sense that yeah. you know it yeah. Yeah. the and, application, and we'll, like what you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, you, you know, I mean, you, you want people to understand why the, the the text matters for today and in their life. But in yeah. terms of my dress, it, you know, I'm not trying to look like anyone else. Besides, I, I mean, fashion goes in and out all the time. And let's just let's just be honest. OK, I'm a fat guy. Nobody wants to see me in skinny jeans. And that's what's in today in the pulpit. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm really looking out the for pulpit. my They're just walking around in skinny jeans. No, no guys should, no one should be wearing skinny jeans. Anyway. Um, yeah. So I think that's how I approach it is just to help people understand, look, the, 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 the preacher doesn't work for the people. He doesn't work for the church. He is God's messenger. And the way he looks, the way he acts is, um, it, it will be attributed to the King. And I, I think I, I love your example about the atheist, you know, um, wh- why is it that, if we were to go see a dignitary, uh, we were to go to a luncheon with the governor, we were to go get invited to the White House, regardless of what you think about what's going on there. No one who had any sensibility would go to any of those things dressed like a lot of things they would wear in church. Right. I mean, they would they would they would dress up. And it's interesting because if you look at the major holidays, Easter, Christmas, People dress up, right? And oftentimes uh, more than they normally would. So I I think we understand um, what it conveys. But for whatever reason, in our society, we've dumbed down things in the church so much that we maybe just don't think God deserves it anymore. You know, we've, I, I think much of the church believes God is just a better version of us. And so it's okay if, you know, if I dress just like I'm dressed. So I don't know. I mean, obviously there are cultural differences, what some cultures will call dressing up. Another culture may not see as being all that fancy. So there's, there's going to be differences of opinions regarding those kinds of things, but, but yeah, with regards to how are we presenting ourselves? Um, But as you said, you know, the, the substance of the preaching is, is really what, what the, uh, the discipline of preaching itself comes down to. So that's a good segue from uh, now talking about how we're presenting ourselves to what it is exactly we are presenting when it comes to the substance of the word preached. So do you preach at people or do you preach with people or do you have a conversation with people and why does that matter? <laughs> um, I I can say yes to probably all of that. I I mean, it's not a conversation in the sense that like, let me get your feel for this. Like, what do you think? That's that's not what I'm thinking about as far as a conversation goes. But I but it is a conversation in the sense that God is speaking to us. This is the word that he speaks to us through and that we are praying. We pray ahead of and after the sermon, which is us talking to God. And so there is a conversation that's happening, even though it may not be in the in the sense of sitting down at the table and sharing each other's thoughts. Because the formality of the of preaching is a man standing at the pulpit, preaching to the congregation, filling 
the hearts of God's people with his word. It's not, hey, let me talk for a little bit. And then whoever has a question, raise your hand. You know, that kind of that leaves the discipline itself. So it is a lecture in a certain sense. It can be Socratic in the way that that Paul would kind of present questions yeah. and answer them. This is something yeah. that Vody Bauckham refers to as uh, as expository apologetics. So Paul will assume the question and he will say, now you will say to me this, and then he responds to the question. So there you do have kind of a Q&A that's going on. Yeah. And as I've heard some people say, whenever a preacher will practice that kind of discipline, it was like you were right in my head. You asked the very question that I was thinking. And so uh, responding in that way, but but all grounded and rooted in the word of God. The God's word is what's being preached and expounded upon when it comes to uh, uh, the message that is proclaimed. So you're proclaiming this text. So you're 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 preaching. So we can say you are preaching at people, right? Um, it, it's not a dialogue. Um, you, you're heralding God's word uh, to, to people. What is the point of preaching? And and I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is why is that different or better than kind of a lot of what we see today with this, you know, sort of short stories, throw in a few uh, quaint sayings, uh, give a couple, you know, five points to make your life happy. And, and then you've ended in 15 minutes. Like what, wh why is preaching different and more important than this other kind of style that's become quite popular actually today? Yeah. In fact, uh, that was a lot of the preaching that I grew up with was sharing the stories, five points to a better life, you know, that sort of a thing. And when I, I went through a really, really rough chapter of my life in 2007, one of the worst years, one of the hardest years I ever had, and came out of that just broken over my own sin, needing to be filled up with the gospel. And so I was, I was hungry for good, solid preaching, preaching where the preacher is telling me, you're a sinner, Christ is your savior. You can't fix this. You need to lean on Christ. And the reminders of him dying for me, rising again from the dead, sitting in heaven, enthroned on high. He is sovereign. He's in control. This is what I needed to hear. And yet I was going to churches in that season where the preachers are just constantly telling stories and saying, you need to do this and, and your life will be happier and all of this. And I was mad about it. Like I was fuming about it as I'm sitting there in, when it wasn't even my pew, my nice cushy chair, listening to this guy say these things. And I would go up to him after the sermon and I would tell him, I could preach the same thing you just preached, and I could do it better. I don't need to hear this garbage. I I need to hear that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what I have got to hear. And I know all these people need to hear this, too. And I I, would, I can't say that I was all that humble about it. I was pretty uh, pretty arrogant in a certain sense. But the uh, but still, there was that that frustration of, I need to, I know I need to hear this. And if my behavior is going to change, if I'm going to be convicted over my sin— so that I would walk in the way of righteousness, then I know that I've I've got to hear God's word preached. And so just like we were reading from 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And he doesn't start that list by saying, uh, encourage and build up and make people feel warm and have the fuzzies and tell them a story that they can relate to, you know, maybe draw from Aesop's fables or something like that. And, you know, people like animals. Animals are good. That's why we write all these kids shows with animals in them. So do something with animal, you know, whatever it's, it's ridiculous. The fluffiness that has, uh, th that has come into preaching today. We need to be teaching hard truths. The truth is hard and it is, it's transformative at the same time. The truth saves. So even though the truth is hard, it's the only thing that's going to save. It's the only thing that gives anybody hope. It's the only thing that draws people to Christ. And so we have to be willing to preach those things that are going to be complicated for people's lives because um, conviction is hard, growth is hard, but but Christ is good. And that's that's ultimately what the word needs to be focused upon. Yeah, and let me add, even as we look at these verses, 2 Timothy chapter 4, first two verses, especially that first verse, how is it that Paul tells Timothy to preach the word? He doesn't he doesn't just say, Hey, Timothy, while you're out there, make sure you preach the word. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So 
Paul is laying this out. If you were to look at all the commandments in this book in particular, very important commandments, there is no commandment that has a greater run-up than that one right there. There's no commandment that receives greater emphasis than that one right there. Why is that? Because Paul wants to get into Timothy's head and his heart and his skin to say, this is what we need to do. And he's stressing that because he knows how important the Word of God is to the people, and he knows how important it is for the man of God to make sure that he treats this with the utmost of importance as well. So just as Paul is doing everything he can to get into Timothy's heart and mind to do what is right— we as preachers want to do everything we can to get into the hearts and the minds of those who are in the congregation to do what is right. Because just as you mentioned, Gabe, this is hard. This is not easy. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, because there's going to be a lot of resistance. And verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. So whether it's in season or out of season, we are fighting against the tide, and we are doing everything we can to convince the people of God to do what is right. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it, this is really helpful for people to understand that this is that this is the admonition right given to the preacher. Like if you're if you're charged, yeah. you know, in not only the name of God but then in Jesus Jesus Christ, it's like a, a double level of authority. Uh I mean Paul's just really stressing um the 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 command here to to do that. And so really if a pastor is not doing these things, he he's not just he's not being faithful to like the fundamental role of yeah of he's preaching. not fulfilling his duty exactly. So let, yeah, let's remember, jump into uh, these words. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking of uh, Andy Stanley, um, who made that comment a number of years ago that expository preaching is cheating. And I remember when I heard him say that, you know, like verse by verse preaching, he says that's cheating. And when he heard, when I heard him say that, I just wanted to go. If I was standing in his presence, I would have said, "Well, then prove it. Go ahead and do it." Prove to me that that's easy, that the that the expository preaching is easy. If you think it's cheating, if you th- really think it's that easy, then then do it. Show it. Show us all how easy it is, because this is a man who doesn't exposit the word. It seems like he's trying to do everything but tell you what God's yeah. word truly says. And when you see him quote it, it's been taken so out of context because he's given no context of the passage. So it's it's morphed into what he wants it to mean. And uh, hey, if you're looking for authority, here it is to get you to do what it is that I want you to do. But he's not submitting himself to the word, and so therefore not bringing the people that are listening to it in subjection to the word and just making it mean what he wants it to mean for uh, for his own purposes. Like you said, you know, I don't get into the pulpit to share my own opinions, but that's what the vast majority of preachers are doing today, and a number of these preaching books that you pick up is is telling you how you can communicate your opinions to people and uh, and have it, uh, you know, get popular or build your church out of that, whatever, whatever the intention of the of the book might be. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, can you just imagine in the old days if a herald, the king's herald, would have opened up the scroll and just inserted <laughs> his own words into into the king's scroll with the king's stamp right. on the end of that thing? He would have been executed. Um, and so I, I mean, one of the reasons I think expositional preaching is the hardest kind of preaching you can do. It's nothing to do with the amount of work. It's nothing to do with the dependency of prayer, but it's fundamentally the hardest because you are literally getting behind the pulpit and you are saying, thus says the Lord, and you will be judged on every single word yeah. you say. And so there is a weight um, that that is behind expository preaching. It's really there if you claim to be a preacher at all, but it, it, there should be a fear right? That's in the pulpit that comes from that. And you know what? If you're one of these bozos like Stanley, um, who makes <laughs> up his own thing, well, then you don't have to be uh, fearful because, I'm, I mean, if effectively you've taken the place of God. You're yeah. opening up, well, in some cases, they don't even have the Bible. Well, let, let's move along. Anyway, um, if you weren't sure who Stanley is, he's a heretic. Just don't worry about it. Um, okay. Well, going, so, going along with that, I, I have... Uh, um, uh, I was thinking of something while you were saying that. So, uh, I oh, you said that he doesn't fear the judgment. I would argue that he does fear judgment. I think that that, but but it is a or he, he does fear God rather. I think that's what you said. He does fear God, but it's it's not a reverent fear. He does have a fear of judgment, which is why he isn't preaching the word because he knows he's not handling it well. And so, if he were to actually 
jump into expository preaching, it would be heaping greater condemnation on himself. I was just told this past Sunday, I just preached on 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, which are the qualifications for an overseer. And there was a fellow that came up to me and said, the last time I sat under a preacher that went through 1 Timothy, he was an expository preacher. But when he got to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, he skipped it and he went straight to the qualifications for deacons. And when I went up to him after church and I asked him, why did you skip that part? He said, I don't want people to start asking questions. Like he was Mm. actually fearful of preaching something that could potentially bring condemnation upon himself. And I think that uh, though there are preachers that won't want to admit it, that's why they don't do the expository preaching, because they know it will bring judgment upon themselves and they don't want to have to answer for it. Uh, Now, ultimately, they are going to have to they will have to answer for the fact that they did not rightly handle the word of truth. That's another instruction that that Paul gives to Timothy um, uh, but I, I think that, you know, whether or not they want to admit it, there is a, a, a fear of the judgment of God as, as John even talks about fear of judgment. Yeah, no, that's good. Let, we don't, we've got a few minutes left. Let, let's just kind of run through these quickly. And then I want to spend a little bit of time on exhorting and with great patience and teaching, um, that, you know, you often hear phrases like, well, it's not your job to convict me. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Wrong. Uh, reproved. <laughs> literally means to convict uh, or to convince of a fault. Um, It is actually the job of preaching to convict you uh, by the word of God. Rebuke, I mean, we understand what what that means, right? To charge or rebuke someone. Exhortation, this is what everyone wants. I I mean, we oftentimes I think when when we think of exhortation, most people think of kind of the the very happy, feel-good stuff. It could be that. Um, but exhortation is far broader than that, right? It's it's encouraging or calling for yeah. something. It's calling for the hearer to engage mm-hmm. the text in, in a way. You're exhorting them to interact with the text in some way. It may be you're interacting with the need for repentance. It may be that you're calling them, exhorting them to do that. It may be that you're exhorting them to test to see whether they be in the faith. It may be that you're exhorting them to look to Christ um, and to understand that uh, it, it's Christ who keeps us in salvation and that you don't keep yourself and you don't have to keep yourself because you don't earn your salvation and therefore you're not responsible to keep it. That's And so you're exhorting trust and faith in God in that way. Um, and, and, and so it's all of these things are what should be happening at different stages, not necessarily every sermon. It depends on what's in the text, right? Um, and so just as we kind of wrap up, Gabe, I, I guess talk about two things. Um, the the fact that we we would use the the phraseology, the 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 point of the text is the point of the sermon, right? Yeah. That's the goal of true biblical preaching. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that, and then just kind of end with the, this last phrase in Second Timothy with great patience. In teaching, we've talked about preaching, just kind of end on helping us understand the difference between teaching and preaching. Yeah, so the the first question being that the point of the text is the point of the sermon. Was that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So the so when we preach, when we're pre, when we're being exhortational, we don't just mean you're you're ta- you, you've got a topic in mind. This is what I want to talk about. And so now I'm going to draw the verses into that to kind of back up my topic. Even when you're preaching topically, and I'm not saying topical preaching is always bad, even when there's a certain subject that you have to be addressing, all the verses that you are using, you still have to you still have to preserve the original meaning of yep. that passage. Even if you're not going to go into the passage and explain, you know, all the verses around it and stuff like that. You still have to exposit it. Exactly. Right. Maybe you're just using it as a reference, but you still have to do the work of examining that this verse actually fits with what it is that I'm saying here, so that the exhortation that's being given is not yours. You are given the exhortation of God. And maybe with those cross-references showing, this verse is not the only place where it says that. We get it from this passage and this passage and this passage. So the you know the, the definitions of exhortation that you gave there, um, uh, Nathaniel, I also think of an exhortation as being a summons. Because if you think of the preaching of the word as being the proclamation of the king. And we are heralds of the king, unrolling the scroll. Here's what the king says. 
So the so there uh, an exhortation means that there must be a response to this. So a summons being now now respond to the word that you have heard. And the gospel is, you know, you've heard R.C. Sproul say this and many other great preachers as well. The gospel is not an invitation. It is a yep. command. Yep. And hence why it is when Jesus was proclaiming it in Mark 1.15, he said, repent and obey the gospel. So, yes, it is a message that must be proclaimed, but you have to respond to it. You can't just hear the gospel or hear the word of God taught and and sit there and go oh well that was nice you know that was that was a lovely speech for today there there has to be a response to it and that work of the holy spirit in the heart to uh, to turn the heart toward god and do what he has said according to his word that's what's being accomplished in that exhortation and so then with that last part as you mentioned with complete patience and teaching that that word complete there kind of goes right along with um, uh, with Paul's instruction to Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth, that you're teaching all of it. When, you know, I think when Paul went to the Corinthians and and had said to them that I had preached to you the full counsel of God and shook his garments in front of them and said, your blood is on your own heads. I've, I've given you everything and you won't believe it. So let there be no blanks left to fill in. I've given you the full counsel of God. I've, there's not a passage of scripture that I would be unwilling to teach I'm going to teach all of it for the purpose of uh, of building up God's people and doing this with patience and with teaching. It's very interesting to incorporate that word patience there, for we know that it is not by our will that the word of God has an effect on people. It is God who's doing the work in the hearts of people. We need to be faithful to do what we've been called to do. But God is ultimately going to be the one that is that is transforming the heart and moving in in the direction that He means for them to go, and we need to be patient in in our understanding that God is doing that work, not thinking that we have to invent some sort of device that's going to be more convincing to people. We need to use the talents and abilities that we've been given to the best of our ability. But it's not going to be by us being the most persuasive that we possibly can that's going to change a person. That's a work that God does, hence why there's the call to be patient there. You know, I think also of when Paul told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. For God may perhaps grant repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will." So it's not in the the uh, the expectation of the preacher to be the person that is going to beat the guy over the head with enough forceful persuasion that it's he's eventually going to change his mind. God is the one who grants repentance and leads to a knowledge of the truth. So we are patient in our teaching to know that God is going to do the work that will be accomplished when his word is proclaimed. Yeah, that's good. I I love that word there, and it it, it really means long suffering, which you reference the other patient there, and that's that's what it means um, to to be long suffering. You just keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it, because as you say, you're trusting God with the results. Um, and then he goes on to explain that right for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, uh, but wanting to have their ears tickled, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, this has been really good. I think it's helpful for people to kind of hear from preachers. You know, we're, we're in the Word. We've thought deeply about what, what our role is, um, God-ordained role, what the office requires. And I get, you know, people in the pews have probably not taken as much time to study that out. It's not there, you know, if, the, if you're not in the office, um, if you're not in the role. So we understand all of that. But I think this would be helpful for people to understand why preaching is necessary, um, that preaching is required, you know. And so, if you if you're in a church where you, you don't have preaching, you're not in a biblical church, you know. If you're in a if you're in a place where, you know, the 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 well, like like Joel Osteen, right? Um, <laughs> it, who 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 says, you know, well, we just don't talk about sin here. Well, then you're not in a church, whatever it is you might be in. Uh, because part of preaching is reproving, rebuking, exhorting, 
And it's not to hit people with a sledgehammer, right? It's it's so that they become like Christ, um, so that they, you know, I've, I've told people, I'm, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to make you holy. You know, the right. preaching is to is to to transform you. And it's not because of me. It's because I'm preaching the word, right? God's word. Um, yeah, just uh, so in, any last thoughts, Eki or Gabe, and, and we'll close this this out. But I think this has been really helpful. Yeah, you know, throughout the Old Testament, Israel, uh, especially their leaders, were rebuked for not shepherding their people. Um, they did not feed them. They took advantage of them. And when you think about the book of John and how the book of John ends, Jesus and Peter is in a conversation. And Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter affirms it, and Jesus responds back with, essentially, feed my flock. Well, how do you feed the flock? Well, Jesus said when he was tempted by Satan, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we are here to feed the flock, the word of God, and it's not always going to be pleasant, but we need hard things oftentimes to be able to confront our rough edges in the places that we need to be, be confronted, where we need correction, where we need to be rebuked. And it's best when that starts from the pulpit directly from the Word of God, and that's when the Spirit of God does His work, because the Word of God comes to us by the Spirit of God. The gift of uh, of preaching and teaching is given by the Spirit, and the illumination of the heart to receive those words is from the Spirit. So while we do that work, we do that work to, to be faithful to what God has called us to do, trusting that God will accomplish His work through His Holy Spirit and His Word. Yeah, I you know as as hard as we say that expository preaching is, and I know that all of you uh, gentlemen would agree with me on this. I love my job. I mean the the Amen. fact that Absolutely. I get the chance to to preach God's word. What an honor that is! And uh, but but there's much expected with that responsibility as well. Yep. Um, as James three one says, not many of you should aspire to be teachers because you know that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. And I remember the quote from John Knox as well, who said, I've never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I step into the pulpit. No. And and absolutely, I know that ultimately I am answerable to the Lord. And so I want to I want to handle his word well, because I know it is this word that saved me. And it mm -hmm. is this word yeah. that is going to save the hearers and sanctify them for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for coming on with us again, Gabe. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And for you guys listening, uh, hope that this has been helpful. We'll have links to uh, Gabe's ministries and podcasts and what videos. Really, take some time and go look at those. They'll they'll bless you. They'll they're a great resource for just solid biblical teaching. They'll encourage you. They'll equip you, and they'll even reprove and rebuke and exhort you. Um, <laughs> and so, do that. Thanks, guys. And until next time, thank you for, let the truth. Thank you for your work as well. Appreciate it. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to, to jump on your, uh, on your. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's OK. Well, everyone knows what I'm going to say. Until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.